HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by MOFAD, the Museum of Food and Drink, inspiring public curiosity about food. Learn more at mofad.org. I'm HRN's Communications Director, Kat Johnson, with a preview of this week's episode of Meat and Three, our weekly food news roundup. This week, we're celebrating Valentine's Day. Whether it's your favorite day of the season or you avoid it like the plague, there's no debating it's a big day for the world of food and hospitality. Valentine's Day is what we uh, refer to in the industry as a blackout day. I don't feel that my manlyhood is threatened when I order a glass of rosé or, God forbid, a rosé champagne. It's an old Jamaican drink from way back and we just decided to bring it back into existence. It's a drink that the men, they believe it really does wonders. Tune in to this week's Meet and 3 on Heritage Radio Network. That's M-E-A-T plus sign T-H-R-E-E. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum, and I love to talk with people about what they do and how it influences their personal food stories. This is a show about people, life, and food. If you're just tuning in for the first time, all the previous episodes of Feast Your Ears can be found in the archives at heritageradionetwork.org. I'm thankful for listeners like you, and I would love it if you'd leave me a review wherever you find this podcast. Today's theme, do so much with so little. It's a Buckminster Fuller quote. We create a lot of waste. It's really insane if you stop to think about it and look around you. There's the piles of cardboard from everyone's Amazon shipments, to the plastic packaging for apples and other fruit, which conveniently already come in a protective, edible cover. How many plastic bottles of water did you use last year, or last week? Now I know that, like me, you probably recycle as much as possible, and diligently carry your glass, metal, plastic, and cardboard to the street once a week. But let's think about what happens then. The magic truck comes and takes it all away, and that's the end of your relationship to it. It takes a lot of resources, physical, environmental, and economic, to make that plastic bottle, and then to bring it to you, and then pick it up from you and recycle it into something else, just so you can have eight ounces of water? This seems pretty silly when we talk it all through, when, in this country at least, much of the water, and I know it's not all, is perfectly fine to drink right from the tap. In fact, some of that tap water is what's put into those bottles and sold to us. What if we started thinking more about recycling and saving resources before we used them? What if you kept the packaging to a minimum and tried to prevent it from even making it into your house to be taken off that orange and put into the waste stream? 
This isn't a new idea. A time traveler from 100 years ago would probably be aghast at the amount of things we use once and throw away. Back then, if you didn't bring something to the market to carry home your purchases, nobody was going to give you a single-use bag. My guest today is Katerina Bogatreva, the owner of Precycle, a small-format grocery store here in Brooklyn that's changing the way people shop. There's no packaging in the store. Customers are expected to bring their own jars, bags, etc. to fill and bring home. It's pretty simple, really. Everything is sold by weight, so you weigh your jar, mark the empty weight, fill it with stuff, and it gets weighed again at checkout. Grocery stores like Whole Foods have gotten people hip to the bulk aisle, but Katerina takes it a step further. She's committed to working with as many suppliers as she can who are willing to take back and reuse their bulk containers. From tofu to pickles to kimchi, she returns the buckets to the makers for reuse. This format has a clear and tangible effect on the customers and the producers, and I hope we see more like it popping up especially in urban areas where the population density makes it a viable business. I sat down recently with Katerina at Precycle to talk about all of this. I hope you enjoy it. This is so new to me, like all the video shoots and podcasts. <laughs> I didn't really ask for this. Have you been getting a lot of press coverage? Yeah. That's great. No, that's good. I'm, I'm not complaining, yeah. but I do it like business and the movement needs it. Just suck it up. <laughs> I'm not really uh, into it so much, but we'll see. I'll do my best. Awesome. Well, thanks, Katerina, for talking to me today. Um, can you introduce yourself? Yeah, my name is Katerina Bogatereva, and I'm a founder of Precycle, the first zero-waste grocery store in New York City. Awesome. Um, so by zero-waste grocery store, I mean, the zero-waste movement is one that, as I understand it, is based around the idea that we are creating way too much waste, right? That yes. things come with too much packaging, uh, that we're wasting food, uh, lots of food gets thrown out. Um, for, for you, what was the kind of inspiration for this. I know you say on your website that it wasn't like a light bulb. You weren't walking down the street and decided, oh, I know what I'm going to do with my life. Um, but how did you kind of come to create Precycle? Well, I guess uh, it started with just looking at my own trash output at home, and I realized that it's just way too much. And uh, when I looked at it closely, uh, I realized it's mostly food packaging right. and food, too, which yeah. was not okay because that's not the values I grew up with. Um, so that, I guess, made me start thinking about what can I do just for my own home? Um, and then, you know, obviously shopping in bulk is not a new idea and it's possible to do in New York City. It's just a little bit complicated. I mean, Especially I guess I would have... say it's kind of like an old idea. Yeah, it's right? very old. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, uh, I have read most of the Little House on the Prairie books with my daughter and, you know, they didn't, there was no packaging, right? They went to the general store and they bought a sack of flour or they brought a, you know, basket to fill with whatever they were buying. Yeah, absolutely. I, and, uh, you know, bulk, buying in bulk exists in, in many countries in, in the world uh, and people are fine, yeah. just fine. And maybe even better, maybe they have less food allergies and <laughs> sure. and uh, intolerances. Yeah, and, and you know, and, and we've come to this point where we are just creating so much stuff. I mean, not just in a waste sense, but just like, I mean, you know, it's what my wife always calls landfill fodder. Like, there are always new products, right, coming on the market. Like, do you really need a different version of a spatula? Do you really need a different version of a coffee cup, right? Like, all of these things that people are like, oh, I want the new thing, I want the new thing. And what that means is that we're making millions of these things. We have to get rid of the old ones or put them somewhere, right? There's storage units all over the country full of old crap that people don't want still. Absolutely, and not, not, not only that, it also accumulates in your home, and then you realize that, oh, maybe I need a bigger home, yeah, right. <laughs> so I need to make more money yeah. because I need a bigger home. Right. I need to spend more time tending to it. I think George Carlin said, a, a house is a place to keep your stuff while you go out and get more stuff. 
So I'm sitting here with you uh, in Precycle. Uh, it's a beautiful, open, light space uh, in Bushwick. The address is shows up on Google as 321 Star Street, but the entrance is actually on Cyprus. Yes, and I just recently got an alternative address, which is 50 Cyprus. Okay. But it's yet to be um, put on the Google Maps. Cool. Correct. Well, most people will probably use Google to find it. So if you look up Precycle, you'll be able to get here. Um, and the space is full of lots and lots of things, mostly food that you can buy in bulk. There are spices, there's produce, there's fresh fruit, there's the things that I think uh, we immediately think of as things that people are used to seeing or buying in bulk a little bit more, dried beans, dried grains, rice, uh, nuts, things like that. I mean, even places like Whole Foods, I think, have made that kind of start to trickle back into the grocery world. Um, where do you source the items that you uh, sell? Mostly, uh, I work with um suppliers that are local uh, within 250 mile radius and um, I also um, pay great deal of attention on their philosophy, their mission, their understanding how things have to be grown and how they have to be sourced. Um, and one of the reasons why it took me three and a half years to actually open Precycle, aside from the real estate um, troubles, was um, actually having these conversations with suppliers on how they're going to deliver goods to me because um, even though I'm a zero waste store for a customer, it, it's not the case for me as a business. Right. And I, I have to be really mindful of that because I don't want to create tons of waste. Uh, and uh, so far, so good. Cool. Did you end up having any pushback from suppliers who like didn't understand what the issues were or like why you were trying to source the way you were? Absolutely, yeah. And, and then we just, we didn't work together. Um, right now I have two, three solid ones that I work with and they understand what I'm looking for and they're excited about it. They actually have, I come up in every meeting as they say. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe as a little bit of a pain in the neck, but nevertheless it makes them think um, and, and they want to make the effort. Yeah. I think that's that's maybe the next step. I, I'd like to see a change in in different levels of supply chain, right? In terms of packaging, because there are alternatives. There's technology to do things from algae and other cornstarch, whatever. But. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think that we came to a point where uh, the bottom line was driving everything, and that was the only thing that mattered. And so even if you were able to, you know, companies that are able to squeeze pennies out of not using reusable packaging, they decided to do it. Um, and it's too bad. Uh, you know, I think that we have been convinced by the ease of Amazon Prime that the packaging doesn't really matter. And I feel like, you know, at least I, in my life, used to see a lot less cardboard on the streets of New York getting thrown out. Yeah. And now there's Amazon boxes everywhere. Yeah. So you grew up in Latvia. I did. Under the Soviet, the banner of the Soviet Union, right? Yeah, I was 13 when it fell apart. Got it. Um, and so what was, what was that like compared to when you came to the United States in terms of like, you know, like how, how does what Precycle is now relate to how life was then? Well, um, I don't want to talk about the depressing things like uh, sure. scarcity and, and yeah. you know, empty, empty shelves and, and, and things like that. Um, I'm actually grateful I had those experiences because that made me appreciate things more, future in life. Um, when I first time when I moved, left the country, I was 14 years old. I went to Italy, and I remember it was a huge culture shock. <laughs> there was actually colors, and people were smiling, and it was very different. Um, when I came to US, um, I 
it was it was after I was 22, uh, so there was that transition time where things were available, but it was still very chaotic and stuff. Um, but I guess initially, um, in terms of relationship with food, um, I realized that I was gaining weight for no reason at all. I was just eating the same or similar things like chicken, but I would just gain a lot of weight. Oh, interesting. And tomatoes wouldn't smell the same way, and there was like a lot of processed food, and I was uh, uh, maybe something I, I instinctively avoided. Yeah. Was it weird to, I mean, having never really thought about this, I mean, I grew up here, even though, I mean, I'm like, you know, have been in the food industry for a long time and try to eat seasonally and locally. Of course, I grew up here where having a tomato in February wasn't weird, right? Because they were available. Um, was that a, like, was there, was that a shock? To yeah, like have strawberries in January, the size of an apple, yeah. definitely. <laughs> and not much of a taste. So, right. I mean, even though I would buy them and I would like try to mix them with some uh, pepper, makes them a little bit more sweet. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it was, uh, yeah. And definitely, I, I remember shopping as a kid market where things are in bulk and you yeah. go and you try different pickles and you yep. bring your own and then oh you didn't bring your jar too bad <laughs> right you can't bring anything home if you don't right <laughs> what are some tips do you have any tips for people who want to reduce their waste uh at home but also like in their regular shopping right like people who are listening to this may not have a pre-cycle near them yet but coming soon maybe um you know, what are some tips for people who want to start to reduce their waste? Um, I think it's very individual, but the best thing to approach it would be um, maybe examine your trash first of all and see what, what you put out there and, uh, and see maybe which items can be avoided or replaced with something a little bit more reusable. Um, composting is huge. I know it's not easy in some neighborhoods, but um, there are ways... Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like when they, like, they rolled it out in our neighborhood, and so we now separate our trash and our compost, and to understand what the volume and weight of the garbage that's coming from the compost is incredible. And I mean, we, you know, we try to use every, every bit of food stuff we can, but I mean, there's obviously, there's always going to be things you don't end up using. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess you could take it to an extreme, and like, the oranges that I juiced yesterday like I could have taken the skins and I could have candied them and I could have dried them right or make a make a home cleaning product <laughs> yes I could have done those things but with two children and my life the way it is I didn't uh, but you know but the fact is that you know the garbage in the regular garbage trash doesn't you know doesn't stink um, you don't have to line it you don't, you don't to, need that uh, plastic bag yeah, <laughs> that you exactly. recycle. Yeah, 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 exactly. I mean, you know, you don't need the plastic bag in the same way. Um, and and what, I mean, what we do is we use, because even though I try to carry reusable bags, I always end up with, between kids and things and people coming to visit, some plastic bags. So we use all of our plastic grocery bags as our trash bags. But we don't line the uh, compost bin, because there's no point. We don't line our recycling bins because there's no point. Mm -hmm. We just put the stuff in there because it's going to go in the garbage truck anyway and then it's going to get dumped out. And like when you put a plastic bag around your paper recycling, guess what? When that gets to the recycling center, that plastic bag is being taken off and it's going in the landfill. Absolutely. Uh, it always amazed me. I lived in a rather larger building uh, for a while and then um, 
you put your plastic bag in yet another plastic <laughs> bag and then that, that goes somewhere and something happens to it and you don't really know what happens to it. Uh, but if you dig deeper, you, you realize that recycling is a big myth. Only 9% of plastic is recycled. So yeah. um, it ends up on the, on the beaches and the ocean. And well, so I think that that, I mean, for me, that's one of the most compelling things about the idea of, you know, pre-cycle as a store, but also as a concept that we can take all of these steps after the fact, but in fact, you're better off taking steps before you even get there. Absolutely. Because if you're going to have to store all this water in plastic bottles, why, why do that, right? Just you're going to put your trash out and then it's going to go away, like you say, and this magic truck comes and it disappears <laughs> and it doesn't matter to you where it goes. Why not just get a reusable water bottle and take your water out of the tap? Now, of course, there are places in this country like Flint, Michigan, where the water is now crappy because of the government. But in New York City, anyone listening in New York City, our yep. water's really good that comes it's out of the tap. <laughs> it's delicious. And I've been drinking it money. for years. <laughs> you will save money also. Yeah, exactly. What's the weirdest container anyone has ever brought in to uh, put food in so far? I mean, you've been open, what, now? Two months? Uh, close to two months. Yeah. I'm approaching two months. Nothing super weird Nothing so super far. weird? No. Okay. Fun. My Dutch friend brings uh, these... Uh, Liebkuchen, <laughs> the, the tin jars from, oh, yeah. from, from the cookies. Yeah. She likes cookies. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think those are the cutest. I've seen some really large jars uh, and I've seen some really tiny ones. But uh, it's definitely super exciting when, when you hear them jingling in a, in a bag when right. people come in. Because yeah. you know people, have, people get it, right? Yes. They get, they and get they it. have a big smile like, I'm here, I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> it's... Uh, it's very nice. I mean, one of the things that I really like about the store and like about bulk shopping and always have is the fact that you can see the stuff. Exactly. Right? Like You, you actually can, see the stuff. You don't yeah. see magenta, blue, green packaging with different weights on it and different prices. And you know what exactly what you're getting and how much you're going to be paying for it. Yeah. Um, I notice you have some things that we don't necessarily, I think, immediately think of as being available in bulk, like crackers. Yes. Now, was that, did you have to go to that company and say, I want these in bulk, or were they already able to? It was just somebody I met through uh, my branding person. Uh, is a lovely gentleman in Midtown Manhattan who was very much into food and, and superfoods and just really good organic ingredients, and he makes these flax crackers, and they've been so popular. That's awesome. They're, when I tasted the first time, I said, this tastes like grandmother's soup. And <laughs> he, he just smiled, a <laughs> huge smile. This episode is brought to you by MOFAD, the Museum of Food and Drink. Featuring a variety of interactive displays, MOFAD encourages eaters of all ages to be curious about food. The museum currently operates MOFAD Lab, a 5,000-square-foot experimental space in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, where Chow, making the Chinese-American restaurant, is currently on show until the end of March 2019. This exhibition celebrates the birth and evolution of Chinese-American restaurants, tracing their nearly 170-year history, and sparking conversations about food culture, immigration, and what it means to be American. It highlights the evolution timeline of Chinese-American restaurant menus, dating back to 1910, and also highlights a tasting section where participants get to enjoy tastings created by the country's most talented chefs who specialize in Chinese-American cuisine. 
Make sure you check out Chow while you still can. The exhibition closes at the end of March 2019. Check out MoFad's tastings and extensive event calendar at mofad.org slash events. Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. My name is Akiko Katema, and I'm the host of Japan Needs here on HRN. By interviewing fascinating personalities in Japanese culinary culture, I try to demystify Japanese cuisine. My guests have included sake brewers, tea experts, Japanese whiskey experts, and sushi chefs. You can find Japan Needs whenever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. Now, there are some things I think that probably ultimately we can't ever get fully away from packaging, right? We were talking before about, you know, the tofu that you sell comes from Ithaca in a bucket and you can return the bucket and they reuse the bucket, but there is a liner in there. And there are certain food safety regulations where, right, we can't, we're never going to get all the way away from it. Or like, you know, you have uh, chocolate from Fine and Raw here. You couldn't just have their bars like out. Naked, no. (laughs) Right. So here's my hope for the, for the liners. I think that they could be made out of different materials, alternatives yeah. to plastic, eventually, and hopefully soon. Yeah, I think, that's, I think that's great. Are there things that you were expecting to be able to get bulk that have proved difficult? Coconut oil. Wow. Because of the temperature, it's just really, I mean... Oh, because it's solid. It yeah, it's a little cold, especially right? wintertime. I right. have already problems with olive oil at times where people have to be very patient with <laughs> the trickling <Very> out. <laughs> yeah. um, it just, it's, it freezes and, you know, the scooping of that would be a little complicated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder if you could get... Yogurt uh, as well. I don't really foresee that. Being, don't foresee yogurt? No. Yeah. Because that's tough. Maybe I sell yogurt making machines. Like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. I wonder if you could get a, uh, you know, they make those like heating pads for uh, terrariums, like for people that have uh, uh, lizards and stuff. I wonder if you could put one of those. Like people use them to make kombucha, is what I'm thinking of. Yeah. And I wonder if, you, or they have like a, a heated band that goes around. I wonder if you could do that with the olive oil so that at least it would stay at like 50 degree or whatever the temperature like mm-hmm. point is, but you're not heating it. But you're keeping it liquid. I'll, I'll look into if that. it gets that's super very, cold. That's very interesting. But what are your best sellers so far? Uh, actually, olive oil, honey, things like that. Bulk yeah. has, bulk, uh, tofu has, bulk. <laughs> tofu has been so great. Excuse me, I've been here since uh, December 6th every day, pretty much, 11 yeah. hours a day. Yeah, it's, a, it's a hard, I mean, uh, getting into retail, I know. And you, and you know that. It's a it's a hard game to get into for sure. Yeah. Um, well, you know, hopefully your first, you know, I hope I don't know if you have any employees yet, but hopefully if you, I do actually. I uh, have somebody on the weekend. Cool, that's good. Get a, get a little bit of time. Um, I understand that your son has some food allergies. Yes. How do you navigate that with relationship to bulk? When we had a bulk section at the Brooklyn Kitchen, people were always concerned about cross contamination. Yeah, that's why I put all my nuts in gravity bins. Um, not scoop bins. That was one of the things. Um, I think that's that's very important. And I didn't bring in. People ask me about peanut butter, and I, I, I honestly tell them no. It's just too many people have severe allergy. Yeah, right. To peanuts. Yep. Yeah, and it's a danger if it gets on anything. Yeah, in that absolutely. case, yeah. But uh, allergies are so so common these days. Yeah, it's true. What do you think uh, Buckminster Fuller would say if he walked in here? I think he would like it. Actually, he's. <laughs> I noticed he you have so a you have a Buckminster Fuller quote on your website. Yeah, I, I I love him. I have a book here too. Um, 
I think he was way ahead of his time, and he saw problems before they happened. Yeah, way for before sure. they happened. Maybe he would put a dome around Precycle. <laughs> <laughs> I asked if you had a go-to cookbook uh, before before the show, and uh, you said you enjoy finding zero-waste recipes and use stuff that would normally be discarded. What kind of things, like, what comes to mind in that realm? Well, very simple, like making vegetable stock or using pretty much any kind of tops for different things like you know, radish tops are delicious just sauteed with some garlic or carrot tops salsa or pickle juice yeah. or um, pesto I mean I always find it interesting that people are buying that stuff anyway right like when you're buying a bunch of carrots you're getting well not always but you can sometimes get the top or radish is more common you know you get the top and then people cut it off I mean I remember yeah. seeing that in my CSA even where you know you would expect that people would have a little more understanding of how to use their vegetables, but people would be sitting there at the CSA pickup and they're cutting the tops off their carrots and throwing them in the compost in the community garden and they're cutting the radish tops off. I know, they actually have more flavor than anything else. Yeah, absolutely, totally true. You had mentioned something about getting your son to try a cricket. Now, I don't see any crickets for sale bulk. I'm actually going to a cricket event tonight. Are you? Awesome. (laughs) Um, I'd like to try cricket flower. I haven't personally yet, but... um, yeah, he did try the cricket. What it cost me a Lego. It cost you a Lego? Just yeah, one? Just one. Um, and he said it tasted like popcorn. It was a little too salty for his taste, but it was open to it. Yeah, my daughter loves eating bugs. Oh. She's way into it. Yeah. Nice. I think in part because she thinks it makes her friends, grosses out her friends. So like it's a good, like there's cultural capital to being the girl who eats bugs. Um, but, she really, <laughs> but she does seem to really enjoy it as well. Uh, we hosted a bug event at the Brooklyn Kitchen a couple months ago. And there were all kinds of, I mean, you know, deep fried scor- like deep fried scorpions, and like tarantulas, and like all kinds of stuff. I'm adventurous, but I don't know about those. <laughs> <laughs> I can do a fermented shark, but that's about it. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, that, I mean, I've never had that. I hear that it's, it's really, really, yeah. It's but it's delicious. You get it canned, right? Is that how it I comes? had it just, you know, in, 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 in a yeah. place, in a bar, as a snack. Now, I mean, I guess that, that was a question I was going to bring up. So what about canned goods? What about things that are preserved as a way of maintaining them from the harvest, right? I see sun-dried tomatoes over there. Would you ever sell packed tomatoes? Um, probably not. Um, I do want to um, work with uh, local Brooklyn businesses that make some interesting sauces and things sure. like that. Um, so I'm always on the lookout for that. But as of now, I have kimchi. Yeah. Uh, it's also in bulk. Yep. And again, the bucket will be reused. Uh, yeah. And some pickles. Yeah. I think fermented foods are great. Um, eventually, I'd, I'd like to. That's another business idea. Maybe I'm not gonna go de- deep into it, but there is a plan in works for using ugly produce. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, I, I think the, the ugly produce. There's a company called Misfit Juicery. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you've come across them. They they take discarded. Uh, produce ends, and they work with Baldor and a couple of other like large mm-hmm. produce processors, mm-hmm. and like they take all of the carrot shavings when Baldor does peeled carrots for somebody, and they juice all of it. And Wonderful. They get the juice. I'm so happy. With you. Um, so it's a, you know, there's there's definitely a lot a lot there because it, and it ends up being very interesting. I on this show very early on, I mean back in like the first season, I think of Feasters, I interviewed Thomas McQuillan, who works for Baldor and is in charge of their. Uh, 
initiatives towards waste reduction. Mm -hmm. And basically, he figured out ways to take lots of things that they were paying to a carding company to take away and ways to get them to other businesses like Misfit Juicery or take them and turn them into a different product. Um, they were working on, I don't know if it ever came together, they were working on taking their vegetable scraps and sending them to a company that would dehydrate them and make them into chicken feed mm -hmm. that would then get fed to the chickens that then they were buying. Wonderful. Yeah. I am, I'm always so happy Which would to be hear. amazing, yeah. 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 I mean, I, I, the complicated part there, I think, was the dehydrating um, on a large industrial scale, but they were trying to, they were trying to, get, it to get it to work. Uh, so you grew up with siblings. Do your siblings live here in the no, U.S.? No, my three brothers live in China. In China? Yes. We're kind of gypsy family. <laughs> <laughs> Do you still have family in Latvia? Uh, I have my uncle there, yeah. Okay. Um, and my mom is now here helping me with my son while I'm building recycle. <laughs> have you trained your son to operate the uh, registry yet? Uh, no, but so he's very supportive of the, of the idea and he was very much of inspiration for me and um, when we just used to think about how Precycle will look like and what, what it's going to be, um, he, he said, can I help? And I said, of course. And he said, I'm going to mop the floors because at that time he liked mopping the floors. <laughs> and then it uh, translated into, I'm going to interact with your customers and now he just wants to count the money. So. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's the entrepreneur cycle, right? Yeah. <laughs> he's he's going to end up being the bookkeeper, I guess. Um, do I you, don't think so. <laughs> do you have a favorite product in the store? Like, is there a product that's your favorite? Spices. Spices. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I'm very excited about spices. Also, a local company um, here in Bushwick. They bring them to me in glass jars so we don't send plastic to landfill. Oh, that's great. That's that's very cool. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, that's, I think that's the trick for businesses like mine is just source really hyper locally, and then yeah. you can work on a, you know, you can get those suppliers to work with you and go that extra mile. Well, and then you can really become a community space. I mean, you know, earlier you had a customer come in who clearly has been here already. Oh yeah, before, and she was so excited and. She was bummed out because she thought there was no tofu, but there was tofu. There was more in the back. And so, I mean, you're, you have that rapport with people. And I think the idea, um, you know, I think you, you present on your website an idea of having something like this, not necessarily, I don't know if you would run it or franchise it or whatever, but in communities. And to me, this is the kind of place, much like a co-op, that, that needs to be a community and have a community develop around it. Um, it's not the same as stopping at a bodega to no. get a cup of coffee or a bacon egg and cheese sandwich on the way to the train. Like, it's not that kind of a business. Um, but I think you can really develop a community around it of people who understand it and want to take part in it. Yeah. I, um, that's how I saw it from day one. I wanted to create a place where people get inspired. They want to they talk about food. They want to... It's, it's a mindful experience. It's not just going into a store and grabbing something and then bringing it home, unwrapping it, and then think, oh... What do I do with this? Right. It's kind of the other way around. Do you ever think that you would do any value-added products? Like if you had cabbage that was starting to get a little bit, uh, you know, uh, not aesthetically pleasing, because even even in this environment, people still, I think, probably want yeah. aesthetically pleasing fruits and vegetables or things that aren't bruised, um, you know, making kimchi or on, on your own or sour powder or anything like that? Well, that's the, the business... That's the next, the next that's, piece. That's the next yeah. piece. Got it. Cool. Yeah, I mean, we used to we used to joke. My wife used to joke about uh, she was going to start a blog called uh, what was it going to be called? Like cooking from the borderline, because we would always take home the stuff that was like starting to rot or going bad or oh, like 
the meat that was like a little too old and gray in the butcher case. My mother said, if you bring more beets home, you can you can leave. <laughs> don't come home. I don't want to do any more pickling. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it gets hard, right? When you when you become committed to that, yeah. uh, it definitely you know I I think that uh, it's a it's almost like a higher calling, right? Like you kind of feel like you're compelled. Yeah. to do this and I still am that way very much uh, so it drives me crazy when my children don't finish their dinner oh <laughs> yeah speaking of repurposing uh, things I, I just a couple of days ago um, I was looking at a bunch of onion skins I collected them in the fridge because I want to you know, take them to compost yeah. and then I was thinking what, what, do I, what do I do with this and then literally next day a girl walked in and she said do you have any onion skins she said, because I dye fabric with it. Oh, very cool. I said, you can have all of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Onion skins are great for that. You can dye yeah. Easter eggs with them, too. No, I was, that was my initial idea. Yeah. Like, it's a lot of Easter eggs. <laughs> <laughs> Although I do have eggs now, which is exciting. Yeah, where are the eggs from? Uh, they are from uh, farms around Finger Lakes in cool. New York State, yeah. Awesome. Free range. Great. Like I said, when I came in, I forgot to bring. I had an egg carton because I, I wasn't sure if you had eggs, and then well, I forgot. We'll have to come back. <laughs> I will. I will definitely. I will definitely be back. Um, do you have any any events coming up? Like, do you have anything happening here that people should be on the lookout for? Um, there's a really awesome eco trip and show in House of Yes that I um, sort of collaborate with them a little bit. Nice. Um, community events. I am not at the point yet, but okay. I, I, that's definitely in the plans. And I think I might be participating in Earth Day in April. They invited me, so that would be great. Yeah, it's very interesting. When I, I was talking about Earth Day with someone recently about how when I was a kid, Earth Day was a big deal, at least in the community that I was a part of. At our school, it was a big deal, and we sold Rainforest Crunch to raise money for the rainforest, like that we did all this stuff. And I feel like I don't hear about Earth Day as much now, even though I feel like I should in the communities that I'm a part of. And it's a very interesting thing to look back and sort of try to understand why was Earth Day a bigger deal in the community I was in in the 80s in Westchester County, New York. And it's not as big a deal now in the communities here in the city. It's very interesting. I think, I think the, the pace of life has changed a lot Sure. Um, in New York City. As you know, it's, it's not an easy place to live. You have to hustle a lot. Yeah. And I think slowing down is just something that's coming up just now. Like having that actual coffee break with your friend right. instead of carrying the cup around and then things like that. I think it's just coming back. Well, I mean, and there, but there's, yeah, I mean, I hope it's coming back. I mean, because we also have the, the rush for, like, optimization, right? And people want to optimize their time, they want to optimize their health, they want to optimize their work, and it all kind of leads towards being more of this idea of productivity. And what does that really mean, right? Like, what is a productive life? Is a productive life that you, you know, run 10 miles and swim a mile and do a triathlon and then you like work for 17 hours and you don't sleep and then you go out partying with your friend like what is that what does it mean <laughs> i think um i'm actually this is, um you know at bushwick is very is a, there's a lot of young people in the neighborhood yeah. and I, I find it very inspiring to see this generation and how they view things and what their response to this is um, was I'm, this... I'm surprised and pleasantly surprised was Bushwick always where you wanted to open no, Recycle? No, absolutely not. I wanted to be in Clinton Hill where I know many people and yeah. my son goes to school. I, um, I had a community support there, but uh, the real estate prices are just insane. I bid on a few, few places before this um, and it just didn't work out. I'm happy it didn't. 
Yeah. I'm happy I ended up here. Sure. But it wasn't the original. The original no. Do you think that uh, down the line you would open more locations in the city? Absolutely. I knew it from day one. I just need to figure out... Uh, I just have to have that learning curve and a little bit of time. Yeah. But I'm, I'm positive it will work and it can be um, scaled. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for, for letting me come and talk to you. Uh, now I'm going to do some shopping. Yes, please. <laughs> thank you. Thanks for listening to Feast Your Ears today. You can find Feast Your Ears as well as lots of other great shows at heritageradionetwork.org, on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please take a moment to rate and review the show, and please reach out if you have any questions. You can reach me via email, harry at thebrooklynkitchen.com, and you can follow me on Instagram, at thefoodballer. Talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network, good radio supported by you. For freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thank you for listening.